Jump over into that UFC Fight Pass archive and go back to UFC 43. The show was called Meltdown, and Vitor Belfort knocked out Marvin Eastman. He got on the side of the octagon and said, We did it, Mama! We back! Dean Thomas, we're back! Crowd! We back, Mama! Full we strength! It. We did. I mean, I don't know what you and I really did. We just kind of hung out, but... Uh, the crowd back in action coming up. Star Veterans Memorial uh, Arena coming up this Saturday night in Jacksonville. You're going to be on hand. Yeah, I'm, I'm here now. I'm in the hotel now. I'm quarantined uh, in the hotel now. Uh, I took my test. I hope I passed. See, and, uh, I mean, you, you, you unfortunately popped once upon a time. So do you get the nerves no matter what? Like, every time you got to be a little bit concerned. I still do, man. I still do. Like, having popped that one time... Now they like I wake up in the morning, checking my phone, seeing if I got a cough, seeing if there's like got a scratchy throat. Like oh, yeah. I really am like nervous now, like waking up in the morning. Well, we're gonna make it. You're gonna make it. I promise. I, I hope. I, good vibes. We're sending all of them uh, to you. Uh, this is extra rounds on the UFC Fight Pass Facebook page as well as Twitch. Uh, speaking of Twitch, going to be joined uh, by Jens Pulver a little bit later on. Uh, he's got uh, an exciting watch along coming up for UFC 261. Uh, he's going to be watching live on Twitch.tv forward slash UFC. Uh, did Did I just hear a knock at the door, Dean? What's going on? Yeah, man, that's, they do a they do they do a knock and drop where they uh, knock on the door and then they drop the food to the floor. Well, do you need to go pick up your uh, your food? No, no. Okay, they're gonna drop it. All right, perfect. Well, uh, this weekend, Saturday night, Jacksonville. Uh, we got three titles on the line. Of course, our main event features Kamaru Usman defending his title against a familiar foe. It is Jorge Gamebred Masvidal. And when you look at Usman, I mean, he's really carving out a beautiful piece uh, of history for himself inside the UFC's uh, welterweight division. Uh, he's really been a dominant force at 170 pounds. And, uh, you know, we've already seen this fight. He took on uh, Masvidal uh, last summer. It was a fight that was, you know, not uh, under the most ideal circumstances uh, for game bread. Um, but Usman felt like there was some unfinished business. Not that he didn't do enough to soundly defeat Masvidal, but he felt like there was an excuse built in uh, for Masvidal making it the, the 25 minutes, and, and people still thought that maybe he was uh, a contender uh, left in the, uh, the the pecking order, the hierarchy at 170. I know a lot of people, Dean, that if they were in this situation, they would you know, operate away from a rematch with Masvidal because he's a very dangerous fighter. He is someone, you know, that can can play uh, the upset card. Uh, when you look at Usman, he doesn't have to do this, but he feels to pen a proper legacy, he's got to get this win and, and do it, uh, you know, in, in as dominant or if not more dominant fashion than he did last summer. Well, you know, and you're, and you're right about that. Like, so the way Usman won last time, like, he he struggled a little bit in the first round. But the rest of the fight, he was in control. He was doing everything that he wanted to. So Masvidal has to make some adjustments. But Usman, so Usman doesn't have to make adjustments. Usman's going to have to adjust to the adjustments that Masvidal makes. So, like, that's the interesting part. So Usman is the one who may be a little bit more nervous here because he doesn't know what he needs to do in order to stop Masvidal. Because Masvidal says, all right, you know what? This is what I did wrong last time. So these these are the adjustments that I have to make. Usman doesn't know what he's got to do now. So like it's an interesting it's an interesting dynamic you have between these two. But I'm so excited for this fight because Masvidal is one of the smartest fighters I know. He's so crafty. He's always finding little tricks and little ways to win fights. 
that I know he has to have something up his sleeve, and that's what's going to be interesting is to see if Usman can figure that out before Masvidal is able to execute. You know, when you look at Gamebred, he is an accomplished fighter at 170 pounds, no doubt. But when you look further and look at his lightweight run, he has lost some split decisions against some really highly touted, highly respected, sort of all-time great uh, competition. And, you know, I point that out, Dean, because we're looking at Masvidal, you know, getting just one more scorecard on a few different nights over the course of his career. And, and who knows what he could have done if he had captured the, you know, Strike Force Lightweight Championship. Uh, but the idea that he is still as dangerous as he is at 170 pounds, you know, stopping guys uh, like he has, Ben Askren, Darren Till, like, you look at this man and... We can't really sort of over um, stress the importance of this fight because Usman, again, is getting in there with a guy that he has, in a lot of ways, nothing to sort of gain against. I mean, I think this is going to be a nice payday. It's going to be a great pay-per-view. But for his legacy per se, I don't know if a lot of people are going to look back and be like, you know what, it's a good thing he did that Masvidal uh, rematch because without it, I just don't know where he'd be at in the hierarchy of greatest of all time at 170 pounds. No, and this is this is more important than that. And you got to understand it. And I wouldn't I can't stress this enough is that everybody fights for different reasons and everybody has different motivating factors to get them out of bed to train every day. And for Usman, this is more personal than anything. But that's what's getting him. That's what got that's what got him motivated to train for this fight is that personal disrespect that he feels by miles without taking this fight, losing and saying, you know what, I only have six days. So Usman said, you know what? Give him a whole camp this time. I don't care what you got to give him. Give him whatever he wants. But that motivated Usman for this fight. So more than anything else, more than legacy, more than anything else, we're going to get a motivated Usman and we're going to get a, a we're going to see a really sharp Usman and not like so a, a version of himself because he just wasn't motivated. He was distracted by being the champ like that. Well, that's not Usman. We got a guy who feels personally disrespected by Jorge Masvidal. We're going to see a strong Usman. Would love to hear the thoughts of our listeners. 917-UFC-TALK is the number. You can also shoot us a text, 917-UFC-TALK. Uh, uh, um, when, I, when, I, when I look at Usman and I look at this fight uh, and the first fight, uh, Masvidal, he definitely gassed a bit. There, there's no denying that. Um, and looking at Usman's last fight with Gilbert Burns, he got hit a bit as well. If... Masvidal has a gas tank that when this fight hits rounds three, four, and five, if it goes that deep, can we see Masvidal pull off something that, you know, other competitors just haven't been uh, able to as, as long as the fight has gone on? Because I feel if, if Masvidal can rely on his cardio, maybe he's able to pull a, a late stoppage in something when this fight gets really, you know, grimy and in the clinch. Maybe he pulls off that, that one uh, punch or, or knee in a scramble that ends up putting the lights out for Usman. Well, this is where having five-round fight experience really comes into play and knowing how to pace yourself. Um, because you got to understand that if George wants to save some of that gas for the later rounds, He's got to take off the gas in the earlier rounds, so he can't have the same types, of, same type of success that he's had that he had against Usman in the first round. Again, he he can't put that type of pressure on Usman, so he's got to take it off a little bit. Now, if he's taking it off a little bit, that means that Usman can put more pressure on him and maybe do some surface damage and some body damage. So, like, there's so many more little nuggets that that are going on that we may not think about. So like, it's all about pacing all about 
who's taking less damage throughout the duration of the fight. There's a lot of things that can go on that can really have an impact on those championship rounds. You know, I know every fight is different. Every fight night is different, even when it involves the same fighters, per se. But you've been around Masvidal over the years. Um, I'm curious. It's not easy to, to assign a number to it, per se. But if you were to look back at the Masvidal that met Usman the first time, would you say it's 50% of the fighter that he can be, 25%? Like, how much do you think he was, uh, you know, hurt? by taking that fight on on such short notice? So what I think about him taking that fight on short notice didn't necessarily have to do with his skill set. Masvidal, he's a gym rat. He trains all the time anyway. So we weren't looking at uh, out of shape Masvidal. That's not what we saw. But we saw an unprepared Masvidal in terms of the tricks that he can have up his sleeve. Now, Explain that. Unprepared. Is, Is that mindset, you think? No, it wasn't mindset. It was tricks. Okay, explain tricks in, 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 in his tactics. Okay, so we saw what we saw what he did to Ben to Ben Askren. Right, that was a trick. Okay, he had that in his arsenal because he knew what he was going up against. Okay, when he went up against Usman, he didn't have those same tricks because he didn't have the time to prepare for it. So we saw him with his skill set minus the tricks and having to do a weight cut. Okay, so that's the type of Masvidal we got. We got a we got a strong Masvidal, but he didn't have the tricks. He didn't have the ace cards. So it's tactically speaking. In, yes, but this time it's going to be different because he's going to have those ace cards. He's going to be playing with those. So so Usman has to be very careful not to get set up in no diff, in no traps because because Masvidal will take advantage of him. Like you got to think of it. Masvidal is a street guy. He right. knows how to survive in the street. He's got them street tactics. He's bringing them into the fight. That's what makes him so dangerous. He's bringing that stuff into the fight. you got to be careful with guys like that. Let's take a look at the welterweight rankings for a brief moment because I think it will make sense when you look at who uh, is in the hierarchy and why this fight uh, is happening. Masvidal ranked number four uh, in the world. Obviously, Colby Covington and Gilbert Burns have already been uh, dispatched by Kamara Usman. Leon Edwards coming off that uh, uh, you know awkward fight with Bilal Muhammad. Um, you know, so for my money... Masvidal is the right pick here. I do like this fight for a variety of reasons. But again, look at the other half of this uh, you know, weight class. Th- th- there are fighters in there that maybe aren't necessarily you know, reaching for a title fight right now. But Vicente Luque coming off a, a, a big win over Tyron Woodley. He is surging. Michael Chiesa poses some interesting uh, problems if he's able to get there. And then at number five... Wonder Boy. I mean, I got to bring up Wonder Boy, Dean, because if I don't, uh, we're going to hear from Ray Longo, who, you know, has been sort of beating the drum uh, for Stephen Wonder Boy Thompson to get uh, a, a title fight uh, once again at 170. I, I think there are plenty of contenders, but for my money, I'm sorry. If I had to pick one fight out of all those guys, I'm picking the Masvidal fight. I know he's a three and a half to one uh, underdog here, but it's too compelling not to take advantage of and strike while the iron's hot. Well, not even from a, a sport. So you understand that when we talk about MMA, we have to look at it from both sides of the coin, right. the sports side and the entertainment side. So not even from the, the sports side of it, in which you're making the case for, but from the entertainment side of it. Like, Miles Vidal is the, the best bet here. I mean, he's the one who's going to bring in the most numbers from all those guys. And, I mean, it really does make sense for Miles Vidal to, to get his shot. I mean, he's ranked number four. He, he can plead the case that he only got six days notice and he was doing them a favor. So give him an opportunity to be as prepared as he, that he could possibly be. So 
He is. He's the he's the top guy right now that should be fighting for this title. What do you think about the odds? Let's take a look at them, uh, courtesy of uh, DraftKings Sportsbook. Masvidal, uh, plus 320 to the uh, favorite champion in Kamaru Usman at minus 435. Uh, is there value there, Dean? Do you feel like the, the wise bet is to throw a little money towards uh, the way of game, Brett? No, I don't. Yeah, yeah, that's the wise money. You know, while I still favor Usman to win this fight, the wise money, the value is in Masvidal. Like I said, this guy has tricks, man. And like once he starts to get going and he's he's going to have those tricks the entire fight. So he's got 25 minutes to pull something off in which he can. He's a very dangerous fighter. So when I talked about Charles Crazy Horse Bennett being good, not being good, but being dangerous, we're talking about Masvidal, who's dangerous and good. Right. So you got to be careful with guys like that. Yeah, you know, we've talked a lot about the uh, fact that this is five five minute rounds, twenty five minutes championship uh, affair here with a much more uh, mentally and physically prepared uh, Masvidal. Is this one of those fights where if Usman is able to get the fight into the deeper waters and sort of uh, pressure Jorge, does the fight start to lean towards his favor the longer it goes? Or is this something where Masvidal is able to sort of bide his time and maybe discourage Usman by not going away and have the tide sort of turn towards his way in, in the championship rounds four and five? Well, and that's what I was saying earlier is that there's so many different things that can happen. There's so many elements to this fight. So not we're talk so we can talk from a, a cardio standpoint, like who's more tired going into those fourth and fifth rounds? That's gonna play a factor. So who did more work in those first couple of rounds? That's gonna be a factor. Then also who's more hurt, like physically hurt? Who took more damage going into those later rounds? Now, and both of them are smart. Like if you look at if you look at Usman, the way Usman beat Colby Covington is he went to the body a lot in that fight. He took the he took Colby's best asset is cardio out by going to the body. If he does that against George, it'll serve him. But George ain't stupid. George knows about the body trick. George will try to go down to Usman's body. The difference is, is I think Usman's going to be a little bit longer, and he uses his legs to go to the body. So, I mean, this is a very interesting fight tactically. This is something I'm really looking forward to seeing. You want to talk about value when it comes to this fight. Our friends over at DraftKings are definitely making it a valuable uh, bet no matter which way you want to uh, put your money on. DraftKings Sportsbook is bringing you plenty of ways to get in on the action during UFC 261. For this fight only, DraftKings customers get 26 to 1 odds on either Usman or Masvidal to win. Just use the promo code UFC when you sign up today. DraftKings Sportsbook, bet with the only top-rated sportsbook app that matters so go do that and make sure you put in that promo code ufc speaking of title fights and uh you know steep odds we see that once again in our uh co-main event valentina shevchenko taking on jessica andraj uh the minus 455 favorite is the bullet valentina uh she has really carved out uh, a place for herself atop this 125 pound division and she's taken on a former champion at 115 pounds in jessica andraj it is it is odd in a in a roundabout way, Dean, to see Andrage, you know, get that title at 115, drop it, and then move up and find the success that she has had at 125 to march her way into a title fight that honestly not too many people want to take. There's not too many people lining up to take on someone the likes of Valentina Shevchenko. Your thoughts on not only the run that Andrade has had here at 125, but her, honest to goodness, chances here come Saturday night against one of the most dominant women pound for pound. Yeah, you know, so First, I'll speak about her 
her run. And you said, you know, it's, it's kind of odd to see her be the title holder at 115 and go up to 125 and have the success. I don't think it's very odd because she has that 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 magic factor. She has power. And that factor, once you have power and you can put people away, like you can knock anybody out. She's clearly shown that she can put people to sleep. And it's not very common that girls have that type of power, to be honest with you. Like we you rarely see knockout finishes like that in the female divisions. But she's got it. So she can go up and fight anybody and knock them out. So that makes her dangerous in this division. However, her chances of beating Valentina Shevchenko. Now, when it comes to value, I'm always like going against the favorite because I don't always rarely see value in the favorite. But this is one fight where I still see value in a minus 400 Valentina Shevchenko. I just like her skill set's always getting better. She's she started off as a counter puncher, which is perfect for someone with power like she's she's gonna she's gonna time that shot and be able to counter her and just she's so tactical she's so she's a special athlete i think she's a really good fighter and i don't really like jessica andrade's chances at all in this fight i guess the reason i say it's weird to see andrade have the success and and march her way to a title because i'm not used to her at 125 pounds quite yet. You know what I mean? This is a, a woman that was a, a staple inside the strawweight division for the longest time that I'm still sort of curious about what she can do at 125, and, and now we're going to find out against you know the best uh, in the world. I, I'm with you. Again, uh, let's take a look at the odds from DraftKings. Um, you know, you're going to make a lot of money if you put uh, some money down to the Brazilian in Andrade. Uh, but, but that said, she has that X factor, Dean, and, and that is you know, the, the power. If she's able to connect and, and really test Shevchenko in, in ways that other people really haven't made her pay, we could be looking at a new flyweight champion on Saturday night. But again, what do you say about Valentina Shevchenko, who, you know, really, she, she's put a stamp on this 125-pound division. Um, you know, there are people that are still interested in maybe having her fight again at, at 135 against Amanda Nunes. Uh, but before any of that can really be considered, once again, she needs to come out and, and dispatch someone who is dangerous in Andrade. Can it be done? Do you feel that Shevchenko is not only able to get this win, but uh, does so with, with style points? Yeah, I think so, man. Like, just, you know, I've been watching her her recent fights, man, and she's she's rarely ever in trouble. She's, she rarely ever looks panicked. And even if she's, like, in a bad position, she always makes things work in her favor. Like, she's very adaptable to every situation. Like, there was a time where I thought maybe her ground game wasn't that good, but, like, her ground game is great. Her takedown game is great. Like, she's just really sharp from, from many different areas and many aspects of the game. Um, you know, and I think that... Of all the divisions, she is, it's like her and then everybody else. And, there, and there's only a couple of divisions that can say that. It's like she can say it, Amanda Nunez can say it in, in 135, 145. But at 125, she, she says that at 125. That's the statement that she makes. It's me and then all you other fighters down there. And that's just how she, she's living. 917 UFC Talk is the number. You can shoot us a text or give us a call, 917-832-8255. I got a text from Jonathan uh, from Helena, Montana, uh, checking in for extra rounds. Appreciate uh, Jonathan doing so. He says, when it comes to Valentina Shevchenko, she's a longstanding champion. How much does that pressure uh, get to her on fight night? That is from champion to champion, right? It is something that affects each fighter differently. But when you're someone like Valentina uh, or, or Amanda, for that matter, when you keep coming into these fights, Dean, not only the favorite, but a sizable, you know, four and a half, five to one type of favorite, 
do you feel that pressure? Is that added pressure, or is it you know more so a, a relief because independent third party people are going like this is a cakewalk for you? Yeah, well, fighters like Shevchenko don't look at that stuff. They she probably don't even know what it means. You know, fighters like that are so in in tune with their craft and so aware of what they're trying to accomplish in terms of their artistry that they're not looking at odds and care about that stuff. She's looking at Jessica Andrade as if Jessica Andrade is a killer and she's got to solve this puzzle. I got to I can't let her I can't let her get to me. She's yeah, there's no way she's looking at those odds and putting pressure on herself like, "Oh, I'm supposed to win." Like you can tell like the, her her composure, her demeanor, the way she conducts herself is that she is totally focused on her craft and winning fights like she's not out there partying or trying to show off i think the most important thing for her is putting on good performances and fighting and she shows that in every fight because every fight she gets a little bit better uh caleb in las vegas also checking in uh, via twitch and text message he says we have uh three title fights when you look at the uh furthest odds for underdogs uh who is the better bet masvidal or Andrade? that's an interesting question i'm not i'm not exactly um you know one to tell people how to uh, spend their money but uh i I gotta believe that even though we've already seen uh, the masvidal usman fight there are more x factors uh maybe more unknowns right now for masvidal uh to be maybe the the underdog to bet here between our you know two featured uh, title bouts that we've already talked about yeah i would i wouldn't put money on Andrade at all so i would probably put I would probably put money on Usman before I put money on Andrade, you know, so. Um, well, that's another thing, too, Dean. Not a lot of people really think about betting favorites. If you feel yeah. like you should bet a favorite, there are ways to lower that line as well, right? Like you can do parlays yeah. and, and props. Maybe maybe a bet on Usman is uh, is wise. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, but I wouldn't – maybe in a parlay, but, like, in terms of a safer bet, like, I would – I would I would think it's safer that you were going to lose money on Usman than you gain money on Andrade. Like I just don't see that happening. So I, and I and I would put rather put money on Usman, thinking you know with, with that odd with those odds. But I wouldn't put money on Andrade in this fight. I just I don't see it. I think stylistically it's a nightmare. Now obviously now I did say she has power. She does have right. that X factor. But I think stylistically it's just a nightmare of a matchup for her. When you look at Andrade in this fight, you mentioned power. I think a lot of it comes down to strength as well. If she's able to, you know, really test Valentina, uh, how much of that is going to be based on, uh, you know, a, a fight inside the clinch? Because if she stands out on the outside at, at range, you got to think that, uh, you know, Shevchenko's going to be able to, to box her up and kickbox her as well uh, to the point where maybe she's not able to get close. And uh, I think a lot of this fight's got to come down to distance and closing that distance, no? Yeah, but it, that's also tricky for her, too, because I think if you talk about, like, a technical clinch, I think that Valentina's probably even is better than her, even up close like that. Now, what, what Andrade needs to do is try to turn this into a dogfight and get, in, get into and create as many scrambles as she can, like situations where in the transition, punching off transition to where she can catch her in, in that type of, in that type of uh, realm. But like the more this fight is clean and the more it like stays, OK, we're doing this area. Now we're in this area and now we're in this area. The more it favors Valentina. I mean, she's just so clean in those areas. Uh, she, Andrade really has to catch her in transition, like breaking out of a clinch or just like, uh, you know, going in for a takedown, faking a takedown, coming up with a big punch. But she 
she can't she can't like stay outside and then think she can come inside and fight her inside because even on the inside even from like the tie plum i think she's at a disadvantage Let's take a look at the uh, flyweight division and how the rankings stack up. Uh, Andrade number one, uh, Caitlin Chukagian and Lauren Murphy at two and three. Jennifer Maya, who had a, uh, a chance uh, not so long ago at four. Colvio at five. Joanne Calderwood, Viviani Arujo, um, you know Jessica I, Roxanne Montefiore, Alexa Grasso. A lot of you know really established veterans round out this uh, division. And they're all chasing after the champ, Valentina Shevchenko. She defends her title again Saturday night. Another title fight on the line in Jacksonville on Saturday. We see Zhang Wei Li take on the former strawweight champion in Rose Namajunas. Looking at uh, Zhang's last fight, it, it was uh, against Joanna Jacek. It was a uh, all-time classic, truly one of the best fights you'll find in, in UFC history. And, and has really started to uh, allow um, Zhang to establish herself as, as a phenomenal uh, champion you know when you're able to add uh, those wars and, and those entertaining fights it, it definitely adds to the lore and luster that you have but she's taken on thug rose who you know rose namayunas has done some amazing things in her career i'll never forget her flying triangle uh and in, in invicted no one thought she was gonna able to to beat you want to jay check let alone do it uh three separate or uh, two separate times your thoughts on on this fight because i you know this is a stack card dean uh this is a, a fight that i feel is kind of going under the radar um your your thoughts on on Zhang, you know coming off of that uh long layoff and and you know fantastic fight uh against yoana does a long layoff, does that benefit her coming into a fight like this, or uh, is the rust going to catch up with her? No, I think it kind of does benefit her. Like, after coming off a war like that, I mean, that's a, a life-changing uh, fight. You know, like, those fights change the way you look at life. Like, you now see life in a different way, not, and you see the fight game in a different way. So I think she needed some time to decompress uh, get herself back together, get back in the gym, and then see what that fight did to her. Does it make her better, or does it give her a jaded outlook on the game? I think it makes her better because she won that war. Like She went in that war, and it was back and forth. It was toe-to-toe. She took a lot of shots. I think it makes her a better fighter. Now, how she matches up against Rose, I think she's just going to have a little bit too much firepower. I think she's a little too in the pocket. Like She's extremely strong in the pocket. Rose is going to, but the thing is what Rose is, Rose is crafty and Rose is very coached very well, always comes in with good game plans. So it's, it's again, another interesting matchup, very stylistic, stylistically different type of fighters. And uh, I think it really comes down to who imposes their will for longer. Now, here's the thing, though. Rose cannot make a mistake in this fight. Whaley can make some mistakes and get away with it and still win. So that's Explain what that we have me. to look out for. So. If Rose makes a mistake, Whaley will capitalize on it and put her away. Okay. If Whaley makes a mistake, I think she can recover. I don't think Rose has the offense to to uh, and not to take anything away from Rose's offense. I think Whaley's defense is strong enough to where she can recover and then come back off of a, a couple mistakes. So like she can slip and then still recover. If Rose slips, I think Whaley's offense is just too strong for her. When you look at Rose, I, you know, I mentioned that flying triangle that she had in the past in Invicta. She she has a good uh, submission uh, offensive attack, but she's also a, a pretty good striker as well. We've seen that. 
How does Rose win this fight, though? If you had to pick a, a method and a path to victory for Nami Yunus, how does she take away uh, the belt of Zhang Weili? So sometimes you look at Rose's past performances and like see how good she is on the ground and go, okay, maybe that's her path to victory. But I don't think so. You know, I was with Jessica Aguilar when she fought Whaley in China, and Whaley's ground game is pretty damn good, man. Like she, she was flexible. Her transitions were tight. Her her positional accuracy was was sharp. I mean, she's pretty damn good on the ground. So I don't think that Rose is going to have an advantage on the ground. Now, you're talking about her path to victory. I think she needs to use her length, and she needs to use length, angles, and some speed. She needs to be very accurate when she punts, and she can't stay in the pocket. I think she needs to stay on the outside. She can't fight like that. i tell you that now. She's got to stay on the outside, be accurate, and see if she can wear Whaley down and use angles and just some speed. But another thing that we have to take into account is the common opponent that they have in Tisha Torres. I think that tells a big story as well. You know, Whaley is sort of a bigger, better version than Tisha, and that's what she showed in the fight. Tisha gave Tisha gave uh, uh, Rose some problems in her fight. She really, I was with Tisha when she fought her. She gave her some problems. She just kind of ran out of steam in the third round. So that that's to me like that says a lot. Like that Tisha Torres component says a lot about this fight. We'll see what happens uh, again. Looking at uh, a three wide championship. Uh, card coming your way. Kamara Usman taking on uh, Jorge Masvidal in the main event. Valentina Shevchenko defending her flyweight championship against Jessica Andrade and Zhang Wei Li defending against Rose Nama Yunus. We're talking value a little bit, Dean. Minus 200 at, uh, for, for Zhang Wei Li. Is, is that uh, an enticing bet uh, as far as a favorite is concerned in, in your mind? No, I wouldn't touch that. I, what's, so as the underdog, I think, yeah, I wouldn't touch that. I would, yeah, I wouldn't touch that. All right. I mean, I, 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 gambling can get some, you in trouble, you right? Just, you know, that you just don't touch. I, I mean, as far as uh, the championship fights are concerned, I mean, that's the best money you're going to get betting uh, one of the champions. But uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens uh, coming up on, on Saturday night. we got a fantastic fight uh, featuring a, a former champion. Chris Weidman is back uh, in the octagon. Um, he, he's recently moved down to uh, Carolina, uh, training, I think, with uh, Wonder Boy Stephen Thompson. He takes on a man that uh, fights a little bit similar to uh, Wonder Boy when it comes to the unorthodox uh, sort of dynamic striking offensive output, that being uh, Uriah Hall. Uh, this is an interesting fight. We've talked a lot about, you know, former champions and, and, you know, their desire and hunger to get them through, you know, tough fights later in their career. Uh, with, with Uriah Hall coming off that win over uh, Anderson Silva, uh, Weidman, you know, it's, I, I don't know how much time Weidman still has, uh, you know, as far as his career uh, is concerned, but he finds himself a, a slight favorite uh, to Uriah Hall. Your thoughts on, on Weidman and Hall coming up Saturday? Yeah, that's that surprises me that Weidman would be the favorite in this fight. Like, cause I don't see it that way. I see Uriah Hall as the favorite. I don't even think it's a good fight for Chris Weidman to be honest with you. Like, it, like for every reason that you could say it's a good fight for him, because if he gets Uriah Hall down, it could be over for Uriah Hall. If he doesn't, then it's going to be a, a long. It could be a bad night for him because Uriah Hall, again, he's a power striker. He's got ex- very explosive kicks. He's got power in his hands, and he's and he's gotten better mentally to where now he's not dealing with the same demons that he was dealing with you know a few years ago in terms of emotionally and mentally going into fights then you also got to take into the fact that this fight is still done at the apex there's no crowd so like you're going to get the best of these guys 
I don't like this fight for Chris Weidman for that reason, just because, you know, he's dealing with a young, hungry, and probably a primed Uriah Hall. Let me ask you this. As far as, you know, this fight is concerned with, with Weidman being a former champion uh, and, and the last fight that Uriah Hall had uh, against Anderson Silva, is this win more impressive if Uriah Hall is able to get it as far as, you know, where the, the two men have gone since their title reigns? I mean, Weidman's stock is definitely higher than Anderson Silva's at this point. If Uriah Hall is able to get this win, does this really catapult his stock as far as the hierarchy is concerned at, inside the middleweight division? No, I don't think so. I think that, you know, I think that for me, I still think Ryan Hall is supposed to win. Okay. So I don't see him st- like I don't see his stock going up. But you know, there's still that mystique about Anderson Silva. Like beating Anderson Silva is there's still a mystique about that. And I don't think there's the same mystique about beating Chris Weidman. You know, even though they were both champs, I still think that you know Anderson Silva still holds that that mystique and that kind of you know that hero worship to, to once you beat him that like you've you've slayed the dragon i don't think chris weidman has that same appeal to his name uh for whatever reason he just he just doesn't have it our uh our producer frankie points out that chris weidman actually holds a win over uriah hall from a, a ring of combat fight you know many years ago uh you know fighters change all the time and and both of these guys have had you know vastly uh expansive careers since then uh and any chance that the Weidman or Hall are are similar enough to learn from the first meeting between one another and actually utilize any information from that no i don't think so i don't think i think that's a wash i think they just look at that as a training session and just go uh, you know we shared you know we shared a cage once right. but I don't think I don't think there's any intel that you can gather from that first fight. You know, I think, you know, the important any important information about this fight coming up, you can learn about their last from watching their last three fights. How important is this fight for Chris Weidman? Um, you know, he's, he's ranked number 11, former champion. There, there have been questions about where he is at and, and what is left in the tank. Uh, you know, long gone are the days of, you know, what he did to Mark Munoz there uh, in, in San Jose. That was one of the most vicious elbows I, I remember ever seeing uh, in mixed martial arts. Is this a must win for Weidman if Weidman wants to get back into that, you know, all-important top 10 inside the middleweight division? I think it's more important than that. I think it's a must win if he wants to continue fighting. It's, I think he's at, you know, at that point in his career. I mean, he's not a spring chicken. Right. That's another factor that we got to we got to take into account like he's not a young guy like he's an older guy who had kind of slid down a bit and then had some some bounce backs and then slid down again and then bouncing back and now he's fighting a really dangerous Uriah Hall so like and he's getting all and he's in, and you know Chris Wyman's an older gentleman like he's not you know he's he's not 27 right you know it's where he can you know make some adjustments so yeah it's he didn't get any younger that's right. all I can say a uh, quick look at these odds again, courtesy of DraftKings. Weidman minus 125 favorite going into uh, this meeting with Uriah Hall. Uh, the comeback on Hall, even money, plus 100. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised, Dean, if that line switches uh, after weigh-ins or you know, the closer we get to fight time, uh, if you are going to bet Chris Weidman. Uh, I think if you are patient, you might be able to actually get him at close to even money, if not plus money, because I'm with you. I was surprised to see Weidman as the favorite, and uh, come fight time, I wouldn't be surprised at all if that has changed. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I can't see it. You know, I guess you, you, a lot's going to be told at the weigh-in. 
Right. You know, when they're standing in front of each other and, you know, depending on how Chris Weidman looks, his body and everything like that. And, you know, and their body language and the energy that they're getting off of each other. But we'll tell we'll be able to tell a lot from that. You know, and I, I just I like I like Chris a lot. I think he's a great guy. And I know Ray would probably, you know, hate me right now for not having faith in his guy. But I just it's just hard to have faith in an older grappler. Right. right. So it's very difficult to have faith in his style at his age. Let's talk about uh, you know a fight that is is very important. Uh, Anthony Lionheart Smith is back in action coming up on Saturday. He takes on the brute uh, Jimmy Crute. This is a, a fun fight and a fight that has a lot on the line. I think for both men, but more so for, for Jimmy Crute, who's coming in uh, to this fight. You know, with, with a lot to gain. Anthony Smith is a guy that has uh, you know spent many a uh, a night atop the uh, uh, main event spots of, of a UFC fight card. When you look at this fight uh, on paper, Anthony. Smith, number five uh, in the UFC's light heavyweight division, number 13 for Jimmy Crute. Uh, the pressure's got to be on Anthony Smith when you look at this fight for, you know, what they're fighting for. You know, the, the odds makers and, and, you know, the people that are, uh, you know, smart uh, look at the ranking and go, Anthony Smith should be able to take this one fairly easy. But uh, Jimmy Crute, you know, he doesn't go away easily. We'll see what happens uh, as the Aussie takes on the American. Your thoughts? Yeah, this is a really important fight for Anthony Smith because, Prior to his last fight, he was kind of on a slide. Like right. he wasn't, he, you know, he was, he was. Uh, I mean, it was to the point where you're looking like, yo, is this still the same guy? Does he still got it? And then his last fight, he, he had a great fight. His last fight, so like he's got to keep that momentum going. And if he doesn't, then we're going to say, you know what? Maybe that last fight was a fluke, and maybe he he don't have it no more. But so, what are the odds on this fight? Is I think he's the underdog, right? Uh, uh, Jimmy Crute minus two hundred, so plus one sixty so, is Anthony Smith, and and that is is interesting for me when you look at you know the, the rankings. I mean, a number five yeah. guy against a number thirteen guy. Uh, not often you're going to find the number five ranked contender, uh, you know, a, a two to one dog against someone on the outside of the top ten. Well, I think that you know, again, I think the odd makers are seeing it the way I may have saw it. Maybe his last fight was a fluke, so the odd makers may be looking at it like that. But this is another thing that I see with Jimmy Crute is that. You know, he's a young, explosive, dynamic fighter. But, you know, when he fought Misha Serkinov, he kind of folded with that with Misha's experience. So I think Anthony Smith can learn a lot from that fight. You know, like he, you know, he folded from that experience. So if Anthony Smith can watch that fight and go, you know what, I got I'm going to teach this young guy a few things. He could still pull this off. I actually like the value in Anthony Smith at plus 160. You know, I'm curious. Experience is something that we always talk about. It's almost, uh, uh, you know, a, a staple of pre-fight analysis. When it comes to a fight like this, though, when, I mean, both of these guys are experienced, but Anthony Smith has that experience in that main event, co-main event uh, spotlight. He knows what it's like to walk out there and stand in front of the likes uh, of John Jones. How much do you think Anthony Smith can lean upon that experience to where it actually benefits him in this fight? Because we say it all the time, but I, I don't understand uh, always, you know, what experience really means come, you know, fight tactics uh, are concerned. And this is something that I, I spoke with uh, Gilbert Burns about, you know, a few days ago, and that's experience. So when we talk about experience, so anybody can do this. Anybody can throw a punch. I can mm -hmm. do this. Anybody can choke somebody. But when you talk about experience, it's all about decision making. Okay. Who can make decisions at the right time? And who who panics when it's time to make a decision? Who makes the wrong decision? Who doesn't make a decision at all? Now, when you look at the more experienced fighters, 
they're able to make the right decisions over and over and over again consistently. And, and that's just right on time when they need to make that decision. Now, when you look at inexperienced fighters, they could be good, they could be scrappy, they could be muscle-bound and experienced, but or not experienced, but muscle-bound. But when it's time to make the decisions, they make the wrong decision or they don't act at all. They panic. Right. So experience is what keeps you having your composure and making the right decisions at the right time. Help me out. I, I think I know it was Tiago Alves, but he was fighting either it was like Martin Campman or Carlos Condit or somebody where he was up and it was in the dying moments of the fight and Alves, you know, shot for a takedown that was ill advised and, and he got uh uh guillotined. And and I, I thought about that moment where it's like, okay, Alves moving forward, probably never gonna make that type of mistake ever again. And you know, maybe that's a, a very black and white uh, example, but is that the type of experience that you're talking about when it comes to decision making? And that is a type of experience that I'm talking about. Now, again, like when at every any given moment in the fight, you are up against, you are faced with different decisions that you have to make. Punch with your left hand, punch right. with your right hand, shoot a takedown, what kind of takedown. So like you're faced with a bunch of different decisions. When you constantly make wrong decisions, and then if you make wrong decisions, what, what can happen is you can become you can be a habitual bad decision maker. And those are the guys that are really good in the gym. Then they get in fights and they lose. They just constantly make mistakes. But then if you learn from your mistakes and go, all right, that was a bad decision. So for Tiago Alves, shooting that takedown wasn't the wrong thing to do for some people. It would have been the right thing to do for some people. Just not him because he's not a ground guy. You know, takedowns is not his forte. So for him, that was a bad decision. Now he knows in fights, I'm not going to make that decision when faced with those options because that's not what I do. But right. for another guy, it was it would have been the absolute best thing to do. Like if it was Usman or, or, or Khabib, we'd be expecting that from them, but not a striker. That's why he got caught. You got to fight to your strengths. Yes. Right. I mean, and you got you got to have you got to have experience making good decisions. Yeah, I'm, I'm bringing up a fight from you know 10, 12 years ago. I actually think that Alves parted away with whoever was coaching him uh, at that time as main cornerman, and you know that that's... that was that was it was Thiago Alves, Marcos Demata, Pahompa uh-huh. told him to shoot a takedown because he's a jujitsu guy. Right, told him to shoot a takedown, and yes, Martin Campman choked him out. Yeah, all right, thank so you. So for Pahompa. That was the right decision for a jiu-jitsu guy. Right. But not the right decision for Tiago Alves in that moment. And But also, too, is that like you can't put this. Like a lot of people was putting putting the blame on Pahumpa. The blame's not on him. But the blame is always on the fighter. The fighter shot the takedown, not right. the coach. I mean, yeah. no, no coach is going to win a fight single-handedly when they're not fighting. No. No. Nor will they lose. <laughs> Nor will they lose a fight no. single-handedly. Um, interesting topic. I want to get your thoughts on it. On uh, Saturday night, we saw um, an exhibition that uh, made people look at mixed martial arts a bit in, in an odd way. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know why we have to talk about this, Dean. But uh, We have to. We, you can't, this is the elephant in the room. It, it, it is. It is. But, like, the question that I have 
with with really anybody that is talking about this is uh, you know Ben Askren, you know one of the greatest uh, fighters we've seen over the last ten years when it comes to to mixed martial arts and in, in the welterweight division. You know it didn't work out the way that he wanted to uh, in the UFC, but it wasn't for lack of effort. This 170 pound class is is you know pound for pound one of the best weight classes uh, in the sport. Um, ben Askren is one of the best wrestlers that mixed martial arts has ever seen. Not one of the best boxers by any means, but now I, I start to hear people say, oh, well, these MMA guys, they can't box. Jake Paul is not a, a supreme boxer, right? Like, the fact that people are talking about mixed martial artists versus boxers and, and how they will fail on that, that stage, um, sure, maybe you can point to, uh, you know, issues where MMA guys aren't going to have the best nights in the boxing ring, but do, do we need to remind people what happened when James Tony fought Randy Couture? Inside the octagon, do we need to go back to UFC 1 and talk about Art Jimerson with the one glove taking on uh, Hoist Gracie? Because I feel like what happened on Saturday really doesn't say much about mixed martial arts versus boxing or or anything for that matter. Yeah, that's as a narrative that everybody tried to to paint. I'm but, you know, I don't even think that really stood all I'm that well. I think most people knew that way. Ben couldn't box. I mean, Ben put out enough videos proving that he couldn't box. You know, so like... And it was, a, it was, I mean, when this fight was first announced, I I knew I was like, Ben's going to get killed. I was like, this shouldn't even be happening. Let's not attach MMA to him. Just make it Ben Askren or attach right. wrestling to him. Let's, why do we got to, why do we got to be responsible for this? But everybody knew. But you know what the thing is? Like, I mean, Ben was kind of the perfect opponent for him. You know, he had the accolades. But then from our perspective, from what we see, like, Ben is... A third, we all knew that Ben was a 36-year-old, three months from hip replacement surgery, right. who's no, who's most known for getting knocked out in five seconds. Th- that's the so biggest like, thing that people forget. This man had hip surgery. Like yeah. B- Ben Askren's <laughs> not in the prime vintage Ben Askren form by any means. No, and and at the end of the day, like I still think Ben could have beat him. <laughs> well, if Ben wanted, if Ben truly wanted to, if that was Ben's. Number one goal for going out there, like, because Ben's the best competitor I've ever seen. I've never seen anyone compete as well as Ben Askren. I don't think he cared about competing. I think he was knew he was getting paid and was just trying to have fun. Yeah, no, I think he just, I think he was just getting paid and trying to have fun. Yeah, and I think I don't think he cared about competing. And, and that's the thing that I'm I'm really talking about here, Dean. Is is you got to put things into perspective and and understand what that was and what people are trying to say what it was and those things are are very different things if ben Askren was able to get a takedown and and throw punches from the mount we're talking about something completely different you know what oh, i mean yeah i mean it was it was a straight boxing match and like i've never seen ben but like ben got a bad body anyway you know what i'm saying like he got a bad body and but i've never seen his body that bad like he he looked terrible so like he was completely out of shape, just completely wanted to have some fun and just completely get paid. And it's, it was nothing more than that. Nothing more than that. I, I just find it funny that, you know, come Monday, I'm looking at, you know, forums and, and Twitter and people are talking about how this was some sort of statement about the, the current status of mixed martial artists fighting uh, in, in boxing or, you know, that, that this had anything to say about uh, anything. I, I do know that, you know, Jake Paul, he's saying a lot of things and people are just lining up to try to fight him. Um, I, I'd be curious... 
what what he uh, you know does as far as you know his next move because there are plenty of guys that I think are more qualified to box him uh, from the MMA world that that are you know kind of kind of you know saying his name a little bit. Tyron Woodley wants to knock him out. I don't know. That'd be interesting. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, you know, listen, just run up on him in the street, beat him up. <laughs> but it's all about money. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you really if you really want to defend the honor of MMA, run up on the street and swing on him. But if it's just about money, then, you know, get, get your money and, and stop trying to put the entire if, – if it's about money, get your money, but don't put the entire MMA community on your back. Do it for yourself. You know what I'm saying? That's if that's what you're doing for, do it for yourself. Because you're not sharing that money with the MMA community. That is true. That that is definitely true. What, what do you think? I mean, you know, let's say you're the emperor of the combat sports world. What would you do? Would you? Would you? Would, I mean, do you think one of the Paul brothers will fight in the UFC? Because I th- I think that's definitely a possibility. Much more with with Logan than uh, Jake. But but I kind of feel like we might get that down the road. I don't know. It's tough because you know I think the UFC. Feels like they made a mistake a bit with CM Punk. You gotta, you gotta kind of imagine that they, yeah, that but they said, you know what? But that it's we different. can't do that again. Like we, but it's, it's different. different. But it's different because okay, if we're gonna say that it's not different, then they knocked it out of the park by getting Brock Lesnar in there. You know, I mean, he comes from yeah. the same world. Granted, he was an NCAA, you know, standout, um, but. CM Punk, I but mean, the disparity, whatever, yeah, but but Brock Lesnar, but Brock Lesnar, like he came in and he beat Heath Herring, and he, you know, he ended up beating Frank Mir once. But so, and the disparity of how bad he was compared to the other heavyweights is not as bad as how is CM Punk was to the worst of the worst welterweights that they could find. Like they had to find bad welterweights for him to to lose to. You know, what I'm sure. saying? like with so, I think they kind of made a mistake. I've, and not that they made a mistake, they just probably realized that, you know what, we we got away with it once, we're not going to try that again. So I think if one of the Logan, if the Paul brothers get in the into the UFC, they're going to have to get in the hard way, the way Kimbo did. Right, and you know, that's something that I think uh, people sort of forget about in that narrative, and, and that's one thing that people really should do uh, if they have Fight Pass, go back and watch that fight lore, because the, the path of the octagon for Kimbo Slice, I don't know if it could have been bumpier really like you're you're a guy who could go out and sell tons of pay-per-views and dana white's like you know what i'm still gonna put you on the ultimate fighter and you know what yeah you're gonna have to go through roy nelson yeah and, and you that's, did what it. I, that's what i think was gonna happen i think if they want to get in they're gonna have to go up they're gonna have to get some fights in in lfa then they're gonna go on a contender series or go in the house but i don't think that they're gonna I don't think that they would take that chance and be like, all right, you're a popular guy. Let's get in. We're going to give you a freebie. You know what it is, too? I I think it comes down to whether or not they have the heart of a fighter. Um, Logan, I think, is a bit different than Jake in the sense that he wrestled, uh, was a pretty standout wrestler in in the state of Ohio, which is not uh, an easy uh, wrestling uh, market by any means. But that's the thing. Like, Like you said, Kimbo was a fighter, man. Like, Kimbo loved... To fight, so I think he was willing to go out there and and you know take his lumps and, and do what he needed to do to get inside the UFC. I don't know if either Paul brother is necessarily going to uh, you know take the the road less traveled uh, to try to get that UFC payday. I don't know, man. I, honestly, from what I'm seeing from Jake Paul, man, he seems to be pretty serious about wanting to fight. You know what I'm saying? Like he but seems boxing, to be pretty right? serious. Hand, hand selected boxer. 
type match. Possibly, but but I think but I think that at the end of the day, I think he still wants to prove because you can't just be like, all right, I'm gonna. I mean, he still realized he's only been doing it for three years, right? So like, he's still trying to work his way up. He's only been boxing three years, so. And to be honest with you, he looks pretty good for a guy who's been boxing for three years. He does look. He looks okay. I mean, you know, I'm not putting him in like a a real. I mean, but he looks okay. He's a good athlete. He's a, probably a blue collar worker from Ohio, so he's probably a tough minded kid. So, you know, I don't. I'm not going to underestimate him. You know, I think that's the biggest thing that we tend to do. MMA fighters, MMA guys tend to do is underestimate people because they don't come up in the traditional path. And I think like that was the biggest mistake everybody made with Conor McGregor. You got to remember when Conor McGregor first came out talking all that garbage, everybody wanted to hate him. Right. I remember Cole Miller was like, Cole Miller was like, oh man, I can't wait to find this Mick Mick Goober. <laughs> Mick Goober. Turns yeah, turns out Conor McGregor was the real deal, but he talked so much that people just didn't want to believe that he was the real deal. And I right. think that's the same thing that could happen with the Paul brothers. That that's the thing about you know combat sports as a whole. Yes, it's it's very much a, a sporting uh, exhibition. It is all about the the better athlete and technique and all of that. But uh, the narrative of you know the spectacle and, and who they are as showmen, uh, you know that gets bought up by fans and other fighters uh, alike. So who knows? Maybe he's got a a brighter future than maybe I'm willing to uh, assign to him. But what are your thoughts on the whole? I mean, th- that show is a circus. I mean, for better or for worse, oh, it was a circus. The whole show, you know, I don't care what anybody says. You know, I had this discussion with my guy Josh Cohen, and he's like, "Yo, it's good for combat sports." Because, is it? You know, I didn't. I don't think so. I don't think I it don't is think either. So. I can't believe I. I refuse to accept. As compelling as he, you know, and eloquently as he deliberated on that, I can't buy it because is it good for combat spectacle? Sure. Maybe. Sure. Maybe. But the sport of what we're trying to accomplish here, right? absolutely not. It is absolutely not good for the sport. Because the way it would be good for the sport, in my opinion, Dean, and correct me if, if I'm wrong, if you feel otherwise, but I feel like, sure, things like that can happen. And yes, people tune in and buy it for that. But you want to believe that they tune in and they see something else that goes you know what, I might actually like fighting. I might actually like the sport of boxing. I might actually like the sport of mixed martial arts. And then you get a repeat customer because they fell in love with what they tuned in and saw and they weren't expecting to necessarily see. If they only tune in for a sideshow and they only like the sideshow, combat sports doesn't actually get anything as far as uh, you know a productive view or buy or, or new fan out of that whatsoever. Well, this is the way I same for the same thing. I'm going to kind of piggyback off that, you know, with the whole CM Punk argument was that, oh, he got in so on and so forth. But we got a bunch of people to watch other fighters on that card so that they could have an opportunity to get some new eyeballs on them. Other legit fighters got a chance to be seen because of CM Punk's presence. Now, with this, the whole thriller thing. If they had some some young up and coming fighters coming up and they wanted to showcase them, some some talented guys that they wanted to showcase, or maybe a really good two really good fighters going against each other, I'd be like, man, I'm all for it. Right. But I don't know if I've seen that. I don't. No. I didn't see that. No. I didn't see that. You know, honestly, uh, I all I saw from the fight was people talking about the result, and then people online trying to figure out how to watch it for free. Seriously, that's yeah. it. I saw and, people trying to find a stream, and, you know, and then they were talking about the gifts. Everybody's drunk, you know. <laughs> and, like I didn't. 
you know, I didn't I didn't get the, you know what I'm saying like I didn't see any prospects coming up or or a really good fight I saw a, a circus and a sideshow I saw you know a party on South Beach with fights yeah with with like circus fights and that can't to me that that don't that can't work and that's why to me it doesn't say anything about MMA fighters as a whole or boxers as a whole it says a lot about people that were born on Saturday night and I guess, you know, either found uh, a way to watch it uh, illegally or, you know, put down some money that uh, I think you would be much wiser to spend on a, a card like UFC 261 coming up on Saturday. Yeah. So, like, yeah, that's because now that's the real deal. Now, like, <laughs> so whatever whatever bad taste you have in your mouth from last week, I'm sure Saturday will wa- will wash that out. Are you in the building coming up on Saturday night if everything goes well with this COVID test? I hope so. Man, well, I'm uh, being in the building. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be in the building watching, for sure. I, uh, I I can't wait just to hear a fight again. And, and that sounds weird for me to With say. The crowd. But think about it. It's been a year since we've heard, uh, uh, you know, t- ten plus thousand people screaming during a main event. I, I've loved the Apex fights. I've loved that vibe. But I want to see that energy. I think Bruce Buffer might actually like jump out the building, just straight up, just like leave. Like rockets are gonna sprout gotta, from underneath their shoes. I gotta do my vocal exercises because if something happened to him, I'm gonna have to take over. You're the guy. You're the guy. I'm, I'm the new go-to guy, man. I'm I'm the guy that ain't never gonna say no to nothing. So if something happened to something happened to old Buff, do I'm you have to take over? Do you have a crazy suit? Because like he's wearing black light posters for for suits now. I'm just gonna take the curtains off and just wrap it around me. <laughs> you know that that, that <laughs> might actually look uh, on brand. You might be all right. Yeah. There. There you go. Yeah, it's uh, very right. consistent. Well, Dean, I appreciate the time, sir. Um, it's We were supposed to have Jens Pulver on. I ended up talking to Jens earlier in the day. I'm going to play that uh, on the way out here. But uh, we got to get uh, you and Jens on to talk, you know, the finer points of uh, pugilism because, uh, you know, I, I think that I'm, I I know Jens had a, a professional boxing career. I think you did as well, right? Didn't you have, take a boxing yeah, match yeah, or two? Yeah, we both, we both uh, boxed professionally. I, I think there's a his, lot. His, he might have boxed more than I have. But I, th- I think he's like four and oh. Yeah, we both laced up. Yeah, I, I think that uh, – you know, guys like you, the the old school fighters, the uh, the the points of view that you have on the like history tends to repeat itself. You know what I mean? And, and these types of fights are not uh, new by any means. But I think guys that you know have, have you know participated and and followed the sport like you uh, have, uh, your your knowledge is very valuable. I'm yeah, probably, well, I'm basically know, complimenting you for being old, Dean. Well, <laughs> that's what I'm doing. Right well, now. I well I appreciate that 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 backhanded compliment. You stabbed me. At least you stabbed me in the chest. At least you didn't wait till I turned around. You know, I mean, that's what real friends do. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. All right. Uh, you're going to be busy on Saturday night, so it's just going to be me and Pearl uh, for our post-fight show. But, uh, you know, hopefully all goes well. And uh, uh, I'm excited to, uh, you know, see this card. And uh, I'm sure we'll be talking about it uh, sooner rather than later. All right, my man. Let's, there- just, let's chop it up. Let's do it. There he is, Dean Thomas. Uh, checking in here on Extra Rounds. Uh, I mentioned I got Jens Pulver coming up here in uh, just a few moments. Also going to be joined by the brute, Jimmy Crew, to talk about his upcoming fight uh, on Saturday uh, with Anthony Smith. A lot on the line there in the UFC's light heavyweight division. So stick around. More to come. You're watching Extra Rounds here on UFC Fight Pass. Don't go anywhere.
here on Extra Rounds on UFC Fight Pass, TJ DeSantis. Pleased to be joined now by the man that really sort of informed a lot of people about mixed martial arts when it comes to the lighter weight classes. It is the Hall of Famer in my book, uh, Jens Pulver, Little Evil. How are you, sir? I'm good. How are you doing? Very good, sir. It's Pride uh, Fighting Championships Month on UFC Fight Pass. You occupy a fantastic bit of history fighting over uh, in Japan. Uh, we're going to talk about the UFC coming up here in just a couple minutes that is going down this weekend. But tell me about your experience fighting over in Japan. That must have been a, a completely different world than uh, you know a, a lot of people are used to when it comes to the United States. You know, it was surreal because just getting to travel, right? And, and then the minute you get there, the language barriers, I loved the traditions and things you got to sit there and, you know, and learn and just get to see everything and travel. And I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm lucky because I got to go as an athlete and I kind of felt like I was being catered to and shuffled around. I get to see all these cool things. And, you know, one of the things I remember as I was going out there is like I would make one little loop around a hotel and by about day three, I'm, I'm in a cab and I'm kind of cruising around and checking everything out, you know, but I think... Besides that, the, the one thing that I always loved about uh, fighting over there was, I guess, the education of the fans back right. then, especially with there'd be 65,000 people, but there'd be no noise. Like we're starting to experience that now because of COVID. Yeah. But it was like that all of the time in Japan where you'd like you couldn't you'd be in the biggest venue I've ever seen. And it would just be quiet. Like everything was like Wimbledon. They would clap a little bit like, hey, good job. And then but then when the fight would happen, it would erupt like whoa where they're all in here you know so that was one of the things i always remember is that the, the you know the way that their showmanship the way that they had the walkouts and the way they did everything that way but then the fact that there'd be that many people there and it'd be a pin drop and all the american coaches yelled at the top they're long because they're not used to this hey i can you know what i mean and i remember like a jeremy horn going you know i can I can hear you don't got to yell. Like, right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you, you look over to your cornerman and be like, you're embarrassing me. You don't have to yell so loud, man. Dirty Americans are too loud because we're, you know, in our, we're fighting for that noise. We're fighting over that noise. We're constantly trying to see who can yell the loudest. Everything over there in Japan, it's quiet. And I, I'll never forget it. I remember Jeremy just looking over at us going, yeah, I can hear you. Right. Don't need to yell. And we're kind of looking around going, okay, my All bad. Right. You know? Sure. <laughs> I love it. it just, I just loved it because, like I said, at, at the time especially, they were so far. I'm not going to say far ahead, but we were still in that. I think a lot of the fan base was more of that tough man crowd. They would kind of boo sure. if they saw a takedown. If there was a takedown, you know, they wanted knockouts and stuff. But over there, they loved the chess match. And like I said, just being able to travel somewhere different, foreign, the jet lag would kick you square. And, you know, for me, it would just hurt like a, it would tear me apart. But I just loved it for the experience, right? Yeah, no. Um, one thing I'm curious, though, the fans, uh, you mentioned they're, they're educated, but you were also over there. I mean, you fought Gomi. You fought, you know, Japanese uh, fighters on Japanese soil. What was that like? Did you feel like you were the bad guy, per se? You know, I never felt like I was the bad guy other than, you know, it, it was one thing that you noticed when they would come to the U.S. and jet lag would destroy them. They yeah. didn't have the same. They had the same issues, you know. And the other thing was, I believe so that they could make weight. I think we ended up fighting. I was like around 160 pounds. So here I am. I'm already tiny for a 55er and I'm eating sandwiches and just, you know, I'm, I can't, I'm a 35 pounder, but right. they were having me fight at 160. And I think the part that would really get me besides the jet lag is the 10 minute round in the beginning. Right. That was another one that was designed to make sure that most fights ended in the first round. But I believe, you know, that was one thing is 
I, I always was treated not, with nothing but respect, but at the same token, I knew coming in, this jet lag was killing me. You, like, you don't know, night and day, up and down, you're just trying to figure out, I'm like, I'm going to fall asleep during the fights. There's no way I can't even stay awake, you know, and cut weight. I can't do anything. And, you know, so, but it's, I liked it. I liked the whole ordeal. I thought it was really cool. Just kind of, you just got to bite down and, you know, you're fighting basically in the middle of the night to what your body thinks. Right. No, 100%. Um, you know, this uh, this Saturday night, we'll jump uh, into UFC 261 a little bit. You got some uh, exciting things going on uh, on Twitch. Uh, you're kind of taking over the UFC uh, Twitch channel from time to time. You're doing uh, that once again. I, I think you're going to be joined by CM Punk doing a, a bit of a watch along coming up on Saturday. Yeah, it's CM Punk and Steve-O. So everybody, oh, wow. yeah, because everybody's always, you know, you look like, you, you sound like Steve-O. You look like Steve-O. So evidently, Steve-O is my doppelganger, right? Uh, most people tell me, I look, I'm the cross. If Joe Rogan and Randy Couture had a baby, it'd be me. That's and you. All right. I'm Steve-O's doppelganger, you know? So this is going to be really cool. I'm, I, You know, it, it's, I really love doing these watch-alongs. Of course, I love doing Twitch TV slash UFC. I love being on my stream, Twitch TV slash Jens Pulver. But doing this watch-along with these, it's going to be cool because they're always kind of just throwing me new people. Right. So we, the three of us are going to try to mix and see how we do. And the one thing I love about CM Punk is, and I don't know if people truly give him credit, a very, he's a student of the game, and he's really good. CFFC, he's been doing it for a few years. Yeah. He knows how to commentate so this is going to be this is going to be a lot of fun i believe we're at 6 p.m pacific 9 p.m eastern it's going to be an amazing card and we've got myself cm punk and steve-o it's going to be crazy you're a pretty fantastic fight commentator yourself jens and i like the idea I, that you're doing it again it's it's kind of this uh it's an alternate uh commentary feed in a roundabout way if you sync things up the right way through the back door and this is what it is and it's one of the things this has been the best platform for me I think when I when I had to retire from fighting, you know, I had my losing streak and I was trying to figure out what I was doing. I was my value. I was like, I'm just I, I didn't know what to do with myself. And then I kind of I found everybody's like, oh, you should do this. You should work here. You should coach. And then when I got a hold of the stream and I started streaming and watching fights, I got to go back and watch the K1 Max and all these boxing you know, matches I didn't get to see. And then I tried out for the UFC and I got to do that on their page. I got to go back into you know, the UFC fight pass and go grab my old fights. And, you know, it brought me back. And now I really, really love fighting again. When I first had to retire, I hated it. I wanted nothing to do with fighting just because I was so mad that I had to be done. I had a lot of, you know, I, I, I hung my head on that losing streak, but I was happy where I was in life. And, you know, so this has given me the platform where I get to be the coach. I get to be, you know, I mean, I get to be a mentor. I get I get to sit there and I get to talk, which I love doing. And, you know, the beautiful thing is, is people give me their time, right? The right. single greatest gift on the planet and people come in and give me their time. And that's that relevant feeling that I was missing when I wasn't fighting anymore. You know, people waiting in line just to meet you and say high five, you know, high five and stuff like that. And so this has been the single greatest platform for me. And then to be able to do this on Twitch TV slash UFC as well. And now to be able to do these watch alongs. So here I am kind of coming through the, I'm coming through the bottom and the back door on the, uh, you know what I mean? But I'm in heaven where I'm doing the fight commentary, but it's, yeah, man, it's my wheelhouse and it's what I love. I love it. Um, let's uh, let's combine what you're doing on Saturday with what we're doing right now. Again, it's Pride FC month all month long uh, on UFC Fight Pass. And uh, if you're down, I'd like to watch a quick fight from your Pride days. Oh, we got to do it. Let's do it. Jens Pulver taking on Kenji Arai over in Pride Fighting Championships. Uh, do, do you remember much of this fight? Uh, you know, right off, right off the jump. 
Yeah, I remember a lot. Hey, you should probably get in there. I remember when I landed, I was supposed to be fighting Imanari. Okay. So I'm all about wrestling. I'm ready. I mean, he's the master of the leg locks. I'm ready for a lot of issues. They said, oh, by the way, Imanari got sick. We've got this kid. He's a pancreas fighter. Uh, Kenji Arai, stand up. I'm like, well, all right. So here I am, ready to be a ground guy. Okay, we'll just take him down. He's a stand up fighter, beat him on the ground. And I think that lasted from ding ding. And if you can see, we just start throwing, we just start going at it. I just decided, all right, I'm just going to shoot the lights out. I have no idea who I'm fighting. I'm, this is my first time looking at him. I found out when I got there, I'm tired, the jet lag. I'm in Pride Bushido. There's thousands of people, so let's just throw down. <laughs> we just started that basin. Now, the irony is Spencer's my corner, and he keeps telling me, soccer kick, Jen, and you're going to win by soccer kick. I'm like, really? Sure, I'm fine. Yo, he kept saying it. And so as we see it, I see right here, he got the best of me for a minute kind of wild me off the fence. I'm like, all right, man, I got to grab a hold of him. I'm trying to shoot the lights out with him, plumb the head, throw the knees and get control. Finally, all right, grab a hold of him, take a breath, because good Lord, the amount of punches we were throwing right there, we just, you know, we're going 100 miles, mate. Can I do a little dirty boxing? So this is my showcase, some dirty boxing right here really quick. I hook the head, and then right here, I'm just going to go upstairs, get his hand up. I punch it. He's grabbing it here, but then I punch the head. He goes up, boom, big shot to the liver. And now it's like, all right, well, back to the center, and let's let's fight it out again. And one of the things is, as I'm sitting here, here in a minute, we keep trying to see how I'm starting to lean here. Right. I'm starting to see something. I'm seeing this opening that I'm, look, that I'm looking for. And I'll come here in a minute. As you can tell, I'm getting a little winded just because here we are. I'm trying to parry over the jab with my left hand. But the one thing I'll start looking for here is I'm trying to figure out how to get this lead hook. And I start to realize it here in a minute, and you'll see, I'm like, all right, I have an idea, but I think, you know, I'm going to circle a little more here, and it's like, I'm trying to figure this out, but I'll get, I'll go back to it, and you'll start to see it. I guess I got to figure out my time here. So the one thing is, I'm working on it right here. I'm trying to get him to jab so I can parry over his Oof. jab with left hand. Oof. I caught him with two big lefts, and I thought I some knees, which I love. I love being on the knee on the ground, right? Try to kick him in his head, but... That's so right here. What I'm looking for is I'm trying to get that jab so that I can. Well, now I'm just kind of just, just shooting the lights out. But I was trying to parry over that jab with my left hand because, again, he's throwing a pair of twos. I'm hitting you with my kitchen sink. I'm like this. You know, I mean, it's a bad trade. And that's when he starts to kind of change it up a little bit. And that's when I'm like, all right, I think I'm getting a little tired. And now we're just kind of throwing back and forth. But the one thing is, see, I'm, I'm keep trying to lean off to the right. And you know, I, I know it's coming here in a minute as I watch this. I'm, they're trying to throw back, get it. You know, what are you doing? Don't let him push on you. See, I'm starting to lean. There's one big left. Trying to keep back him off me a little bit. And then right here in a second, I'm going to start leaning. I'm going to lean my way in. See, I'm starting to lean. There's the first hook. So I'm like, all right, this lead hook is going to work. See, there it goes again. So I'm like, all right, I got to get in there. There's one. Boom. There's the lead hook left. And now, as you can tell, so he grabs it, but that's, I'm like, okay, I think I found this open. So I have to play this pummeling game with him real quick because I'm like, all right, I got this. I got this. All right, let's try to set this up again. See, I keep trying to pop my head out there over the jab. So I'm not parrying on anymore and throwing the left. I'm trying to come back with the lead hook left hand. And it's, boom, and there it is. So now I can tell I've got him hurt pretty bad. So I start to chase him and I throw the left, he bobs, and then boom. I, like Spencer said, soccer kick. Dang. Oh, you cut him open bad. 
I, I, you can hear the pop. I blasted him with my shin, cracked the front of his nose. But see, it's right off the bat. This one drops him. But right when I, I throw that head kick and he dips, and I'm like, what the heck? And all of a sudden, I couldn't believe it. He just kind of rolled up. And I'm like, holy cow, Spencer Fisher's like, he just Nostradamus me with this one. And then I just fired the kick. But right here, see, so that lead hook, left hand, got him all stilted. And now I'm going to try to kick his head off. He sees it, boom, off he goes. And then, boom. He just happened to roll up into it. It was legal, and Spencer kept telling me this was going to happen. So here we are. You almost anticipated it. Like, you, you yeah, threw the kick before his head was almost there, even. Yep, and it was like, okay, and then boom, he boom. rolled it. Just in that perfect position, the way he rolled the head, I just kind of step, step. And one of the reasons why I think it's because I was going to be fighting Imanari, and you notice how when he rolled, right. I'm not assuming he knows Imanari rolled, but I'm thinking Imanari and his Imanari. So I kind of step, step. I get out of the way, and he just sits up like, pop. So I just kick him, pop. Soccer kick to the face. Why not? <laughs> I, you know, I, I don't know if it was just the replay and it was slowed down that way, James, but I feel like you almost could have been more vicious with that soccer kick. I feel like you maybe uh, uh, held it, up. You were a nice guy a little bit. Caught him, but I could have maybe stepped back and really stepped right. in and fired one. But it's just kind of the way everything worked out. Doom, doom, and he rolled. I just, But it was a good shin, and when you hear it, when you play, you'll hear the pop. It busted the – you can see that it busted the front up there. And so that was my first ever soccer kick. You know what I mean? I had to, I had to have one, I guess. But Spencer kept telling me, and there it was. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's pretty impressive. Maybe uh, uh, I got to pick Spencer Fisher's brain and uh, get some prop bets or something because that's uh, – I, I couldn't believe it. It was cracking me up. And I'm like, I couldn't believe it happened. It's like, all right, and there it was. Bam! There you go. Jens, I cannot wait for the watch-along. I'll be tuning in on Twitch TV, forward slash UFC on Saturday uh, for UFC 261. And uh, we'll have to have you back again, maybe watch some more fights. Yes, I would love to come back. More fights, more time. I can talk a lot, so I would love it. But, yeah, make sure Saturday it's going to be an amazing card. We've got an amazing group this time, Twitch TV slash UFC, myself, CM Punk, and Steve-O. Steve-O, my doppelganger. So, And then, of course, all the mods at UFC. So I'm excited. I can't wait. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you very much. Jens, have a good weekend, man. We'll talk soon. All right, guys. Thank you. There he is, Jens Pulver. Check him out on the Watch Along coming up this Saturday night, twitch.tv forward slash UFC. Uh, obviously, Jens, Steve-O, CM Punk starts at 9 p.m. Eastern. Do you think that Steve-O is really Jens Pulver's doppelganger? I don't know. I don't, I don't feel I mean, Maybe uh, audibly I can hear about I don't necessarily see it. Maybe you do. Uh, all right. Still one more thing to do here as we get ready for UFC 261. It marks the return of the brute, uh, Jimmy Crute, coming up. Uh, he takes on uh, Anthony Lionheart-Smith, so we will get to that next. It's Extra Rounds on UFC Fight Pass. It's been a long journey for the true believers who championed MMA before it was fashionable. Through the ups and downs, many have come and gone, while two iconic brands stayed in the fight. I'm turning the page and breaking away. The UFC and Venom are pioneers of combat sports, bold innovators, and history makers who shape the future by delivering what fans want and what fighters need. Today, with mixed martial arts surging in global popularity, the UFC and Venom have joined forces, and the next evolution in combat sports is just 
get it started. I'm just getting started. You can knock me down. Never knock me out. Came back feeling brand new. Tell me how you like me now. When you find the perfect fit, it just feels right. How about you thought it was done? Really, we only begun. Yeah. See Fight Kids by Venom. Inspired by the journey, he evolved for the future. Well, the world's really excited to get back to normal coming up here on April 24th as UFC 261 hits the ViStar Veterans Memorial Arena. And there'll be fans in the building. But everyone watching on pay-per-view are going to be in store for a pretty good curtain jerker when it comes to the bright lights shining on ESPN Plus as it pits a former light heavyweight title challenger against an up-and-coming blue-chip prospect with the biggest opportunity of his life ahead of him inside the octagon. That man is the brute. Jimmy Crute, kind enough to give us a few moments here on Extra Rounds. And it's actually a two-for-one, Jimmy. Who's uh, who's the pup with you? This is, this is my boy, Buddha. I love it. I love it. Are you, uh, are you like, best friends? Like, do you go everywhere together? Do, do, do you yeah. do outings and everything? Yeah, he comes to China with me. He comes to, yeah, he just pretty much attached, attached me. So, yeah, he's my, he's my, he's my, he's a good boy. I love it. I love it. Um, big opportunity for yourself, as I mentioned, uh, taking on uh, Lionheart Anthony Smith coming up here at UFC 261. When, when you look at Anthony, is it safe to say that on paper, at least as far as accomplishments go, he's, he's the most accomplished fighter you've uh, took on yet to date? Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, you know, he's, he's top six in the world. Um, ranking, rank, uh, ranking his line, he's, he's, the, he's the top of the guys that I've fought so um yeah it's a it's a hell of a challenge I'm not expecting an easy fight but um yeah I'm just excited for the opportunity for sure Let's talk a little bit about your progression as a fighter. Uh, according to my records here, you're you're freshly minted at 25 years old. Uh, just celebrated a birthday recently. You got into MMA about five years ago. Did you have any idea that uh, a 12 and one record and you know fighting inside the the world's biggest promotion in the UFC was possible and attainable five years ago when you started this? Um, I definitely knew I was going to be in the UFC. Um, I didn't know how far. I was going to go with it. Um, I didn't have aspirations of being a world champion or anything um, until recently, but I just wanted to be a UFC fighter. And ever since I was five years old, that's all I've wanted to do with my life was fight in the UFC. So it's pretty, um, pretty surreal feeling to be here and to to want more now. Now it's, I want to be a world champion. Um, I'm sure once I get the world title, I'll um, reevaluate my goals and probably want to defend it ten times. But um, yeah, I'm just I'm just stoked to just stoked to be living my dream. Let's go back to that uh, you know, 12, 13 year old version of yourself. Like what made you uh, get attracted to fighting? Why did you want to go down this road? I don't know. I'm a bit, I've always been a bit sick in the head, I think. Um, you got to have a few screws loose to want to be a fighter and um, yeah, I don't know. I just I just I just love doing it. Um, I love the training, I love the lifestyle. Just just something that I really enjoy doing, and I couldn't see myself doing anything else, honestly. <laughs> I 
You guys really are best friends. He he's not having any of this interview from uh, taking away from his uh, you know petting time. I love it. I love it. Uh, I'm curious. You said that uh, until recently, Jimmy, you you didn't really realize or feel like the goal was to be uh, a world champion. What changed? What made you feel like you know what I, I can get to the top of this mountain? Um, I don't know. I just um. The goal was to get to the UFC. I got to the UFC. I, I won a few fights. I lost one, and then um, you know I had to. I had to really for, for me to pro- progress as a martial artist and, and a man. I had. I really had to start believing in myself. And um, you know, I didn't. I never wanted to be a world champion because I never thought that I would be able to. I didn't think some some kid from from Bendigo, um, Victoria little old me was ever capable of, um, of, of getting to the top of the sport. And now that I've seen the level of it and, and I've, I've trained with world champions, I've, um, I've fought with, with um, like guys that have been in the top five. I've, I've made the, nearly made the top 10. It's like, man, I can do this. And I, I can do it. I can do it in style. I know I can. I, I truly believe that. So um, it was just a, it was probably after my first loss. I had to take a really good hard look at myself and um, really want to know why, really understand why I want to do this and, and how far I want to take it. If I just want to be some guy that made the UFC or some guy that made waves in the UFC. You mentioned your, your ranking, really knocking on the door of the top 10, taking on a, a really proven commodity in Anthony Smith. What were your thoughts when you got the name Anthony Smith uh, as a possible opponent? Was, it, was that exactly what you wanted when you heard the name? Yeah, yeah, I, I was calling out Anthony Smith um, respectfully. I was calling out Anthony Smith for a long time before I got the got the fight, and then um, you know I was I, I sent the I sent the because me and Anthony Smith had a sort of back and forth respectfully, like really respectful back and forth on um, on Twitter or Instagram um, a few times, and um, I like I didn't think that I was going to get someone that highly ranked, and then when he said he would fight me, I was just like, oh damn, like. So I, I was just handing handing Mick Maynard over and over again. Give me Anthony Smith. Give, give me Anthony Smith. And then um, and then he came back with Johnny Walker, which was awesome too. Because what a love to smash that that guy. Um, but um, I think they were sort of holding Anthony Smith out for the winner of us, us two. I think I'm, I'm not 100 percent sure. But and then and then when Johnny pulled out and and they put Anthony Smith down, I was like, man, this is. At first, I was a bit gutted, but then, then I was just like, I don't even know why I'm upset. This is a better fight. So, um, yeah, it was, I was stoked. I was stoked with that. And I'm still, I'm still I wake up every day and I, I'm like, yeah, I'm fighting Anthony Smith. How cool is this? It's a huge opportunity and one that will really place you quite highly in the rankings if you get the win. And, and you know, you, you've been a prospect for a while. People have been high on you since really coming to the UFC. And I think, Jimmy, the main reason that people are excited about your prospects is because you're a finishing machine. You go out there and, and you put it on people. Anthony Smith, I mean, he's got the nickname Lionheart. Yes, he's been finished in the past, but he's a hard man to put away. What do you think about this fight? Do you think that you have the capabilities to bring that fight to Anthony Smith and really test that lion heart? Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely for sure. I, I think, I, I think I can put him away, but I can't rush to finish. And if it takes me three rounds to get the win, it takes me three rounds. Um, you know, I've gone like people, people talk to me about how I've got all these first round finishes, but I've, I've gone five rounds twice right. before I got to the UFC in hard fights like i can go the distance no problem um it's um 
for me to put Anthony Smith away though, everything has to go right, and I have to do everything properly. You know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get him out of there in a, in, a, in sloppy fashion. If it, if it becomes a sloppy sloppy fight, it, it's going uh, three rounds. If 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 I stick to my guns and and I do what I'm supposed to do, I'll put him away early. Looking at Anthony Smith on paper, he has a, a significant advantages as far as experience is concerned. What do you do to take that advantage away from him? Um, he's, yeah, definitely got the experience. I mean, he's had what he had nearly fifty fights. Yeah, I've, I've fought guys with nearly fifty fights before, and it, it didn't save him. You know, um, out of all the fifty guys he's fought, he's probably fought two guys similar to me. Maybe, maybe Glover Teixeira and. Um, and Volkan Uzdemir, I'll probably say that they're the most similar guys to me. Probably Volkan might be the most similar, striking-wise, similar to me. And, um, yeah, but they're not me. They're, they're similar. They have a similar build. They probably have similar power and, and strength, but they don't put it together like I do. And, um, you know, he, he can draw on that experience, but out of 50 fights, he hasn't experienced Jimmy Crew. I haven't experienced Anthony Smith, right? But um, but you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a different puzzle piece to what he to, to what he is thinking. I believe. Uh, you actually kind of stole my my next question. I, I'm curious. You know, we, we talk about the credentials of of Anthony, but you know, as far as stylistically and, and the skills that he brings to the octagon, do you feel that you faced anyone that is similar to him in the past? Um, no, uh, I. I Oh, maybe. No, I haven't. I haven't fought Paul Craig. Maybe Paul Craig's not saying extremely similar, but he's pretty pretty similar. So um, he's got he's got great jujitsu and, and long and long rangey striking. So maybe maybe Paul Craig, but um, I'm just focusing on what I need to do. I'm not focusing on, on what Anthony Smith's bringing to the table. If I do everything I'm supposed to do, and if I if I follow the game plan that my coaches have set out, I'll make I'll make it. It won't be easy, but I'll make it look easy. There you go. That's the best way to try to make it look, especially in a sport where you get rewarded for style points. This is a, a wide open division, uh, considering you know how long it's been lorded over by some of the same uh, names. You know the the Cormiers, the the John Joneses of the world. Now, uh, you know a, a new champion atop the the division. Do you feel like if you get this win over Anthony Smith, you can you can put yourself in that top five, or maybe argue for an outside uh, opportunity should one present itself at, at you know. A a title eliminator or even a championship out? Yeah, sure. For sure, I don't see why I can't fight anyone in the top five after this. He's ranked sixth in the world. Um, and I'll, I'll be ready. I'm, I'll uh, write it down right now. I'm staying ready this year. I'll be ready for... I'll be ready. I'll, I'll go to, I'll go away in for any any of those top five fights. I'll, I'll go to the... I'll go there. If they pay me, I'll go there and, and weigh in as a backup. I don't care. Um, if, if, if it's a top five opportunity, uh, I'll be ready this year. No, I'll be, be just training away, minding my own business, getting better. And then when the opportunity presents itself, I'll bash it. That's awesome. Um, looking forward to seeing you compete. Looking forward to this uh, entire UFC 261 card. It's the first card that the UFC's done uh, in over a year since there have been fans uh, in the building. You'll make that walk on the pay-per-view uh, portion. Are, are you excited to, to get out there in front of you know 15,000 fans and, and feel that energy again? Yeah, it's exciting. Um, it's a little bit nerve-wracking. I, sure. I, like I, I sort of felt like I performed better without the crowd. But um, I think going through that and, and understanding that now, 
it's it's a good thing now now that the crowds are back having that experience to know that they do affect some in in some way they do affect so sure um actually knowing that and and being able to understand that is going to be really helpful now that they're back but um man i'm i am i'm super pumped to 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 hear, hear the cheers of the crowd you know it's been too long and it's a it's an awesome feeling when the I don't know if they will cheer for me because I'm fighting an American in America, but um, yeah, hopefully they cheer for me when I win. Well, I promise you that if there are any Aussies in the house, you'll, they'll definitely be heard. Some of the loudest fight fans uh, in yeah, the world are. Uh, are Australians, right. and uh, they'll definitely be uh, cheering for the brute, Jimmy Crute. Appreciate the time, sir. Best of luck coming up at UFC 261, and uh, I'm sure we'll be chatting soon throughout this year. Appreciate it, brother. Buddha does. There he is, the brute, Jimmy Crute. Kind enough to give us a few moments here as uh, we get ready for his fight uh, this Saturday night. Taking on Anthony Smith, Lionheart, taking on the brute. And uh, it's a fight for the Aussie that uh, could really put him in prime position. Uh, Anthony Smith, again, uh, a guy who has been a staple of this light heavyweight uh, division, ranked five in the world. Uh, that interview was done a few weeks back when Anthony Smith was only uh, number six in the world. But things have changed in the rankings and uh, a huge opportunity uh, for both men to really uh, welcome back the UFC crowd in a big way. They are your pay-per-view opener uh, again Saturday Night Live on ESPN+. Plus. Let's take a look at the odds uh, for that fight and all others. Jimmy Crute, the Brute, a minus 200 favorite to Anthony Smith, uh, who comes back at plus 160. Even money for Uriah Hall. He takes on the former middleweight champ, uh, Chris Weidman. Uh, Zhang Wei Li defending her title against Rose Nama Yunus. Uh, Jessica Andrade challenging Valentina Shevchenko. Kamara Usman battles Jorge Game Bread Masvidal. Make sure you head over to DraftKings right now as they're bringing you plenty of ways to get in uh, on the action at UFC 261. For this fight only, DraftKings customers get two 26 to 1 uh, odds on either Usman or Masvidal to win. Just use the promo code UFC when you sign up today. DraftKings Sportsbook. Bet with the only top-rated sportsbook app that matters. I'll be back immediately following uh, all the action coming up uh, on Saturday night. Extra rounds live with myself and Pearl Gonzalez right here on the UFC Fight Pass uh, Facebook page. Also, uh, if you like to listen to us on demand, and that's the key word, listen. Check out the uh, podcast available for you in the coming days, probably by Saturday night. will be listed everywhere you get your podcast, whether that be Spotify, iTunes, Google, like I said, anywhere, iHeartMedia, radio, whatever it is, iHeartRadio. Bottom line, you download podcasts, you'll be able to download extra rounds. So we're excited for that. Um, but that's it. We'll see you coming up uh, again Saturday night, immediately following the fights. want to thank uh, our guests today, The Brute, Jimmy Crute, as well as the former UFC lightweight champ, Lil Evil, Jens Pulver, and, of course, the always awesome Dean Thomas for giving me plenty of time to break down this UFC 261 card. For all of them, I'm TJ DeSantis saying we'll see you next Saturday, just a couple days away, immediately following UFC 261 for extra rounds from UFC Fight Pass. from you.
UFC Fight Pass is a TJ DeSantis production. Its content is intended for private use only.